Hannah Aldridge, welcome to the Hell Fucking Yeah podcast. I'm very excited to have you here. Um, you know, you want to give me a little bit on your musical background, like where this all started? Sure, yeah. I mean, <sighs> that's kind of a convoluted story. But um, yeah, I, you know, um, I grew up in Muscle Shoals, Alabama, which is a, a notably cool music town there. But um, for me, it wasn't, uh, it didn't really seem that way until I was looking back on it. You know, um, I can't say that when I was young that that made me want to be a musician or anything like that. But mm -hmm. I was certainly influenced by that and I was influenced as well by the fact that my dad is a, a songwriter and producer and so he worked at Fame Studios my whole life and so I was around music and around uh, musicians my whole life and um, and then you know kind of in the background I was classically trained on piano and, and ballet and um, and I, I just always was really artistic and, and musical in some kind of way yeah um, and then fast forward a little, um, I decided to take a, a songwriting course in college as an elective. I, I loved music, but I wasn't really sure, you know, what I wanted to do with that. Um, so I just enrolled at MTSU in Nashville um, with a general music degree and uh, took a songwriting course. And by the end of the course, found that I, I really enjoyed, you know, writing songs. So I continued that pursuit you know, to the point where one song led to another and, and uh, pretty soon I, I was out playing every night and, and then I was touring and, you know, so it just kind of snowballed into this thing, you know, Yeah. <laughs> you know, so yeah, it was kind of weird because I think a lot of people assume that I just came out of the womb, you know, with my parents cheerleading, <laughs> you know, music because my dad's a musician and growing up in Muscle Shoals, but that was actually the opposite for me. It really un unfolded the opposite direction. So, right. Uh, now, your father is Walt Aldridge, correct? Um, he was a singer, songwriter, producer, engineer. Uh, right. Wrote dozens of country music hits. Uh, there's actually a documentary on uh, Muscle Shoals, where he grew yeah. up, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There is. Uh, it's, pretty, it's a cool documentary. I recommend it to anybody kind of into that era of music, you know? Yeah, no, I definitely love to check that out. Are you by chance in it? <laughs> no, I'm not in it. I'm not in it. You know, it, it really focuses on a guy though named Rick Hall, who was like my my god uh, father, sort of. You know, my dad worked for him longer than just about anybody could tolerate working. <laughs> it was many decades. You know, he was he was uh, renowned for being very difficult to to work for. You know, and um, so he was. I was with him almost every day, this guy that uh, the documentary is centered around. And, um, and so that all of that uh, documentary centers around the Swampers for the most part and Rick Hall, which was about a generation or maybe even a half a generation before my dad's time. So my dad, um, you know, was just interning at this studio um, and he would go in at night and pretend like he was locking the door and he would go back in and record stuff, you know, after wow. he had people like Wilson Pickett and um, you know the Swampers all those those people he was in there interning during those records being made so he wasn't quite in um, in that era to be in that documentary nor was I either but um, but certainly all of those people are people that you know are friends and and uh, people that I grew up around so they all feel like family to me you know sure oh, that's really cool I gotta check that out 
Um, so now growing up in Alabama, right? Mm -hmm. um, right in the Bible Belt, kind of. Was a religion, was religion a big part of your upbringing? Very much. So I always joke and say I was beaten by the Bible Belt. You know, I was raised Church of Christ, which is, you know, borderline Amish with electricity. And I, um, you know, it, it certainly influenced me and had a big impact on my, my life and my songwriting. Um, I think that's where I really started to delve into the, the love of Gothic, uh, Southern Gothic and Gothic songwriting and exploring that, um, the darker side of religion because it was off limits to me you know what i mean mm -hmm. so <laughs> i thought well i better check that out and um <laughs> so it was cer it's certainly still now i mean uh, the first things that you teach someone are are the last things that they forget you know mm -hmm. and i guess the point of teaching them young you know so for me that's something that is really influential to me um, as a writer, as a person. And for me, it somehow translated into really having a love of, of Gothic, um, storytelling and writing and imagery. So. Sure. Now, I, I mean, at a very young age, you found yourself exploring, uh, dark thoughts and feelings. Mm -hmm. uh, how old were you about, would you say? Well, I have always hmm. been one of the people that I really question, uh, question the the process of everything you know mm -hmm. so for me I was the kid who was always like but wait a minute how does that work you know in in school or because I went to Church of Christ schools my whole life too and I was always like you know thinking I'm not sure that I can really get on board with all of this you know so I, I think I struggled kind of from day one with with the idea of you know, having to fit into this box of religion and, and ironically, the religion that I was raised in didn't have instruments in the church. So it was all acapella singing. And I think when I really started to, to get kind of confused and, and really, you know, delve into this, trying to sort out what I believe um, was maybe in middle school, I, I went for a couple of years to a non-denominational, very radical, almost Pentecostal school. And my parents were very much against me doing that, but I really wanted to go there. And um, that really shocked me to my core because raised so conservative. And then I have people speaking in tongues and snake handling telling me I'm going to be demon possessed if I don't pray to God. Right. You know? And so then I was like, well, what is that about? You know, I've never heard of demon possession. What is that? You know? So that kind of um, sparked a, a tremendous amount of fear in me, obviously as a kid, but also, some sort of interest in, in learning about well, what is the dark side of all of this, you know? So, um, and then it kind of went on from there. I started traveling a lot and, and studying a lot about uh, all of the different cities and histories and cathedrals and, and religions, you know, that went into all of the places that I was touring and it became something that was really fascinating to me. And still even now is just a, a real uh, trigger point for me to, to be creative and, and um, you know, write about right. that wow so i mean i'm sure at that time it was difficult to express those emotions to anyone uh, you know now it's in your art it's in your songs it's in your sure. lyrics but at that time were you able to channel those emotions into any kind of creative outlet when um, you were younger no not at all i was kicked out of of the um the church of christ that i went to <laughs> <And> wow <laughs> 
really uh, struggled to communicate to my parents that, you know, I, I was not uh, on board, you know, and I think a lot of that came out in really negative as it does with kids. It, it came out in really negative actions on my part, you know, but no, I had a really hard time um, because I think, you know, I have a 14 year old son and I think thinking back on it as a parent, you know, every child is different. And for me, I really, um, putting me in that box of saying, you have to do this and you have to believe this, you know, was probably the exact right way to get me to run as far away from something. So, um, so really when my feet were held to the fire, I, I ended up just rebelling against the whole thing. And I think that's really hard for any person or child to find a great way to to communicate that to the powers that be that they don't believe <laughs> believe whatever they the, the people around them believe you know sure um so for me no i'm sorry for me i was not able to do that in a in a positive way um but, you know, I think even as I got older, it took me a really long time to kind of sort out how to tie that into an art form, you know, mm -hmm. because even now, if I play a show in the South, I mean, I, I get off on freaking people out a little bit, but it does <laughs> it's loud, even though I'm 34 years old and I know what I believe and I'm very confident in that it still freaks people out when you mm -hmm. go out and say song about demon possession, you know, I mean, that's still that still, you know, gets a reaction out of people. So I don't think there, there would have ever been any way that I could have communicated that well, you know, before I was really sure in what I was trying to say and who I was, you know? Sure, sure. Absolutely. Um, I found this quote online by you that I love, and I'm just going to read it. Uh, the devil and darkness were always under the bed for me. It still is, honestly. So that naturally weaves itself into a lot of songs. I find it extremely fun to sit and think what type of song I would write for a particular scene in a movie or subjects that really scare me. So instantly that my mind goes to like horror mm -hmm. films and things like that. Um, so, you know, while the nature of those songs contain personal subject matter, what other elements do you draw inspiration from? Like, are there horror films that like you just, you you write the songs from or do you imagine a scene from writing like which way does yeah, it work i don't know if that makes sense <laughs> no good question i mean i i actually it, it's different um it's different ways that that all works itself in but for example i just finished up a series called midnight mass and that ah. show very much about all of this, about the darkness of religion and how it can, it can be a really uh, negative thing if used in the wrong way. And, uh, you know, the whole time I was sitting and thinking about the soundtrack to it that, you know, there are some great moments in that, but there were some things I would have done differently, you know, so maybe in that way, I'll go and sit with my guitar and I'll think, okay, if I were going to rewrite the music to that scene, what would it sound like? What song would I write to go right there? You know, um, sometimes I'll turn off the sound to a horror film and uh, just watch it and and see what, you know, what feels like would be here, you know, um, just to spark a little bit of, of creativity. And, and furthermore, during um, COVID, I actually decided to finish my degree in film scoring. So we did wow. a whole interesting things like 
having a movie uh, that has music in it already and then you strip the music from it and you rewrite all of that and you have to line it up and put it in with the scene and all of that. But, you know, there's there's more technical ways that, you know, I write songs that are more like that. But but also sometimes, like, for example, with this TV show that I just watched, I might sit and think about well, what was the point of that? You know, what what is the what is a line that I took from that show that really moved me to write a song that I would put that in, you know, uh, a song I read um, as I lay dying um, about six months ago and, and ended up, of course, having to mold that book over quite a lot after reading it but but I'm writing a couple songs just from that book of the imagery and the story and you know what music would I put in that movie you know that kind of thing so horror is a really really influential thing for me especially when done right you know I mean for me and for anyone who's into horror it's such a, a particular thing you know so I'm into certain kinds of horror um, I tend to like things that have quite a lot of meaning behind them. Um, but yeah, so for me, I, I, that's how I kind of, you know, uh, take a movie and rewrite the music to it, or even come up with a song that would be fitting for that, you know? Sure. Um, sure. That's really cool. And like I said, I am a huge horror fan. I have seen that series, Midnight Mass. It's, it's actually really amazing. It is. Uh, the guy, the guy who plays the main character is, he was born to play that role. I mean, he was so good in that. Then he was so good. He was, you know, that character, I've thought about him a lot and what the meaning was behind, you know, all of that character. And was he, was he a good guy? Was he a bad guy? You know, mm -hmm. and so those kind of horror uh, series that are, that are light on the horror and heavy on the, the storyline, I feel are really uh, some of the best ones because it really, you know, lends itself to a lot of uh, creativity you know, in, in filming and in the music. And I, I did personally feel like the soundtrack to it was maybe not how I would have approached it. Some of it was really cool, you know, but, um, but yeah, you know, that, that for me has always been a really big source of, of energy and creative energy for me is, is watching movies and, and thinking about how I would do the, the scoring for it or TV shows, of course, as well. So. Sure. Um, what's some of your like go-to horror movies? <laughs> um one of my favorites is always going to be 28 days later or 28 weeks later I think the soundtrack to that is that's a perfect example of it being visually terrifying in a lot of ways but also the the soundtrack being phenomenal you know mm -hmm. and it's just a really good soundtrack you know um in my opinion not maybe not everyone would agree with that and again, like you take a movie like The Sixth Sense, you know, I mean, that's a really deep dive into something that's really scary, but it's not so scary that you can't watch it, you mm -hmm. know? Um, and, and even, um, you know, I, during different times of the year or whatever, I'll find different movies. I'm like, I really love that whole thing. I'm really into um, like Midsummer, the way that they used the audio in that movie and Hereditary, it was really interesting for me, even more so than just the way that it was filmed. And of course, the storyline and all of that's insane. It, it, all of it's scary, terrifying. But if you really take all that away and you listen to the sounds that they're using, they're not the cheap, uh, you know, jump scares. It's really unnerving audio that makes you... Um, makes you scared in a way that you know other movies don't approach like that so 
Um, for me, I, I really appreciate movies like that, that are really either great with the storyline or really using audio with the visual in a very, very uh, creative way, you know? Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And you took the words right, right out of my mouth. Like I was just about to mention Hereditary and uh, even Midsommar, like, yeah, it's a, just a, they're very unsettling movies. Yes. Um, like you said, the score that you like, even Midsommar being like shot in the daytime is the complete opposite of a horror movie, but it's still unsettling because it's done so well. It, it, uh, it is. It is. And it's yeah. and it a cheap shot. You know, they, they could have done that in a lot of ways that would have made it not scary at all. But, mm -hmm. you know, it, it's very um, it's very creative. And that's that for me, ticks the box for me, you know. Yeah, absolutely. I'll, I'll think of some that you may have not have seen after the show, sure. and I'll, I'll send you a little list. And yeah, because we'll uh, I've seen them all. <laughs> yeah. I believe it. I do watch a lot of horror. You know, I, I really am. Um, I'm really into that at all times of the yeah. years. Yeah, you've probably seen them just as just as much as me. So, um, but you never know. There could be one or two in there. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure that there are. Yeah. <laughs> so. Is there, is there any religion that you practice now, like any religion at all, or have you willingly practiced? No, not at all. You know, right. I, I, about the age of 20, about the time I had my son, I decided that I would leave the church as, as it were, you know, and, um, and pursue the idea of unlearning every single thing that I had been taught, which it has ended up being such a long process for me. I mean, that stuff I really thought would take me, you know, a little bit of time. And I thought I'll go, I will go out in the world and I will, you know, just try to be a blank slate. And when I'm touring and visiting these cities, go into these churches and just exist, you know, and not come in with any preconceived ideas of what is truth and what is right and and go around the world and meet people and and try to take in what the rest of the world believes and as I've done that the more that I have learned you know the more that I realize I know absolutely nothing absolutely nothing and so I really um it's interesting looking back on it I really thought that at this point I would find what I believe you know or mm. find you know and I really haven't. I mean, even even as a parent to an older kid now, I mean, a teenager that is exploring his own ideas and what is God and what is the big picture, I have no answers, you mm -hmm. know? And, and that for me is, I think on a very basic level that there is good and there is evil in this world. And I think that there are certain things that very uh, deeply make me feel afraid or make me feel like, that's probably not something I want to mess with, you know? Um, and there are things that I can say that when, that when I do this, this kind of uh, situation unfolds in my life. If I do good um, karma or whatever you call it, it, it typically goes in a, a positive direction for me. But, you know, outside of that, it's very difficult for me to say, you know, I can commit myself to this practice or this religion because, I, I just have a hard time believing that anybody has figured it out. <laughs> That's yeah. my, but uh, everything is just, there, there's something beautiful and, and fulfilling about entering a church on a Sunday morning and, and listening to the singing and just observing people devoting their lives to something that they believe in. But for me, I couldn't continue to do that every single Sunday. You know, it's hard to, to find something that I could do that 
every week for you know yeah absolutely i mean and you know i get it i get religion i get the idea of it like you live by these rules and these guidelines and this is how you live your life but i think it's way better to look at it from the outside like you do and say all right i've lived this experience i've learned from this experience i know what not to do now i don't need this guidebook or these rules to figure it all out um i'm with you 100 on that and uh yeah, yeah, but I and I also understand people need it and whatever that it is what it is. Yeah, I think so. And I, I mean, I, most of my family would totally disagree with what I said. I mean, but at the same time, I think for me, uh, traveling the world as much as I have and meeting people of every walk of life, uh, you know, and spending time in their homes and around their dinner table and and knowing them personally you know, you start to realize that there are so many ways to do this thing called life, you know, and there are so many things that you can devote yourself to. And there are so many ways to do it wrong. And there are so many ways to do it right. And, you know, very little of the people that I meet around the world uh, are doing that right, just because they are devoted to a religion or a God. I mean, there's so much good in the world that doesn't have anything to do with that, you know. And so uh, defining that word on a broad scale is really what, what interests me at this point in my life is what is God and what happens next, you know, mm -hmm. and outside of that, I don't think that a religious practice is, is for me, you know, it's just yeah. not that I, um, you know, I can say that from a very educated standpoint of, of living it and doing it, not just, I haven't ever done it. And I think it's not for me. I've done it. And it's, it's not for me. It's not, it's not what I believe in at this point. So, um, while I find the good in it, and I do think there are a lot of people that, that benefit from it, you know, um, that's one of those things for me, that's not worth arguing with anybody about, because if it works for you, do it, you know, absolutely do sure. it, you know? Um, but for me, uh, it would, it would be very unlikely that I could see myself totally devoting my life to a religion at any point, because I just find that there's so much truth in so many different things, you know? Yeah, I totally agree. And then that's the way I live my life as well. And I think that it could be dangerous actually to make a decision based on something that was written 10,000 years ago. <laughs> I would agree. And actually, <laughs> round back to that midnight mass, why I found this so interesting because it is so, uh, it's so deep in thought, you know, about the fact that you've got these people that are doing something that are so, that is so evil, like even to the point that they're committing murder, um, like Jonestown, you know, and, um, and, and yet they are using scripture to, to to say that this is okay and and i just thought man that's a deep dive right there because that is exactly how i feel about it you know is that there are a lot of people that just use it as a weapon you know and and instead of using their head and, and common sense and their heart and their morals they use a scripture a bible verse that says yeah but this says i can do that you know right so for me i i equate it to to cults in a lot of ways. And I, that's another thing I find really fascinating and, and interesting. I've really gotten into in the last, you know, few years as cults. I love studying about them because it's so interesting to me that you can herd people into believing this, this mass idea. And it is not any different than religion. Really, when you break it down, it's, it's really no different, you know? So I, 
Yeah. Yeah, that that's so true. And just the word cult alone has a stigma to it. Like when you think when I hear it, you think of satanic cults or, or things like that. And um, it's just not the case. There's, you know, every religion really, in a way, extreme religion, at least is a cult, you know? Yeah. So, well, I mean, not even <laughs> just things that are just in general, widely uh, popularized or, or something that people are really devoting their lives to. I mean, yeah, but I think the point of it is that human beings at their core are, um, they are drawn to this idea of being in a group, following, you know, one common goal and idea and believing that you have found some kind of purpose in your life. And at any point when somebody says they, they have the answer to that purpose, it can be really dangerous. <laughs> you know, we've seen that happen over and over and over again throughout time and history but particularly with cults where it goes totally awry you know yeah and you do down that happen you know so that's uh an interesting case study on that idea you know yeah and i always find it funny that the people who usually are calling other people sheep are the ones who are really following something yeah. else that yeah. makes no sense yeah. <laughs> i guess we all are and really in some way if we're really honest we're all sort of you know, sheep to some extent, but yeah. yeah. Uh, now, I mean, you've had some dark periods in your life, like we all have, you know, but dealing with things like substance abuse, bad relationships, but I believe there's a difference between like a dark moment in life and actually embracing darkness in a positive way. So could you give me any examples of when darkness gave you a silver lining in life? Oh gosh. Yeah. I mean, I'll <laughs> I mean, I, I think, you know, some, as someone who is really drawn to darkness in a way, I, I have to, I have to find the humor in it to some extent, you know, and I have to find the, the entertainment value in it to some extent too, because I can go so far into that dark corner, you know, of my mind that um, it doesn't, it's not a joke anymore, you know, or it's something that is really uh, dangerous, you know, so for me, um, that's been kind of a way to to dig myself out of, of some of that, those dark thoughts and whatnot is to write about them and be creative. But yeah, I mean, even, um, you know, I had my son when I was 19 years old and that was, you know, that was a very dark period in my life. I had no idea what that was going to look like, you know, how that would do to affect my life. Really, you can't explain that to anybody, you know, much less a 19 year old. So that was very daunting for me. And in a really dark period of my life where I did not know uh, what was next for me. And, um, and that that was something that was was hard that, of course, you know, gave me beyond the silver lining, you know, I can't imagine my life without Jackson and, and uh, he's given me so much purpose and meaning in life. And, you know, furthermore, I mean, I would even go as far as to say COVID has, I'm not sure about the silver lining part quite yet, but, but for me, I mean, when COVID started, I, I reached a level and, and continue to truthfully teeter on the brink of that level um, all the time of just despair. I mean, all of us, you know, have this just global despair, you know, and I, I really struggled at the beginning of COVID because I literally felt like I had lost everything. I mean, everything that my life was built around um, was gone just overnight. And, and it was like, 
uh, okay, well, shut up and stay in your house and deal with it. You know, we've all lost a lot. Shut up. You know, it was like that kind of reaction to it that I'm like, how do I deal with this? You know, what do I do? And I, I really had to dive deep in, um, you know, myself and counseling and all of those. I had to do grief counseling during that time just to really suss out, like, these are my emotions about this and it's valid and it's okay to feel that way. Um, and, and so for me though, I have found some kind of comfort in the last two years or a silver lining, in fact, of, of realizing that this has given me a period of time at home that I would not have ever had. I mean, I was out on the road 24 seven. I was touring 150 to 200 days a year, you know, juggling an immense amount of things in my life. And um, I was living in Chattanooga, which my whole family lives in Nashville outside of my mom. And my dad got really, really sick right at the beginning of COVID with something unrelated to COVID. And you know, that time that I got to spend at home with him and with my son and my family, you know, it, it ended up working out in a way that everybody needed me home so badly. And I don't think I would have had it in me to cancel all of my tours for two years and do that, you sure. know, so for me that that part of it, no matter when I get to go back out and, and really tour and do the things that I love, I know that this will end up working out in a way that I'll look back on it and be grateful. And I am now even, but obviously if I knew the end point of it, it would feel a little easier. But um, th this really has been a trying time in my life, if I'm really honest. I mean, I can look back and point at a couple times in my life that were as heavy as the last two years. And it, it's been really difficult in a lot of ways. And it's required a lot of saying, you know what? I believe everything's going to be okay, you know, if for mm -hmm. all of us, <laughs> for all of yeah. us, you know. So um, I, I really, I feel like that, um, that question is really like, I'm right in maybe the thick of one of those moments in, in life, you know, and, and I, I think all of us, not all of us, but probably a lot of us, you know, at the beginning of it, you know, sat around and drank all day and slept all night and or all morning, you know, and would, would wake up at about two o'clock in the afternoon. And, in, and initially, I think maybe all of us were very self-destructive in some kind of way, but then you realize okay, I got to get it together, you know? So I threw myself into healthier things. I threw myself into doing ballet again, you know, and doing, um, practicing my classical guitar skills and scales and things like that. And trying to think, you know, when this is over, I want to be better than I was before and not just be a total alcoholic or a drug addict or whatever, you know? Right. So, um, so it's definitely been a really good exercise in, in, um, taking a dark time in my life and not just spiraling downward with it, you know? So. Sure. Yeah. You know, and I, I, I talk to a lot of artists on this show, a lot of musicians and um, <clears throat> yeah, they've had a tough time over the past couple of years, not being able to tour and, and do things like that. Um, the COVID reset the world. It reset everything. Uh, like for me, this happened because of COVID. Like mm -hmm. this is something I've always wanted to do. I had a business and I had to shut down the business. <clears throat> business is gone. It's not coming back, but I got this out of it. And um, yeah, I try to find the silver linings as well and everything. Uh, it's been a crazy couple of years and I don't, you know, sometimes it feels like it's getting worse. I, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I know. It, it is really a weird thing because it's, you know, I had a situation that happened on my last tour. Um, I just got back from <clears throat> in the UK 
And we left for this tour. And when we left, um, Omicron had not even come out. So we left for the tour. I had, you know, everything looked great. I was like, man, this looks like things are really, I'm, this tour is going to really shape up well, you know, and it had been three times too on top of that. And so, um, yeah, like we land in Sweden and start that leg of the tour. And by the time that we get to the UK, like it is so bad that our shows are getting canceled. And I just realized in that moment, you know, not only do I not have control and even though I'm so type A and I'm such a control freak in so many ways, I have no control and I have to, and you have to learn that you have no control right now of any of this. And I think that whole situ situation forced me to have to swallow that idea that this may not happen this way anymore. This may not be a thing. It's what you just said, you know, that's not ever coming back. You know, I'm having to really take in that idea that what I was doing my life prior to this may not ever come back. And that is actually part of the grieving process. That's one of the steps is accepting it, you know, and that for me, um, obviously is the most difficult part because I think all of us go, well, I'm going to, the world's going to be okay again. We're going to get to go back to it. And instead of accepting that, you know what, this may be what my life is now for maybe ever, but for a very long time. And I've really had a hard time accepting that part of it. And I think when I was out on tour in the UK and all this started unraveling, I realized at any moment, this could all shut down again. And I've got to understand that this is not the same anymore. You know, these things are not the same as they were and that's okay. And I have to be okay with that because that opens the door for other things. You know, I have to let the doors open to other things. Otherwise I'm just going to be fighting this to try to you know, Google Docs my way through all of it and try to organize a new tour and try to email people. And, you know, it's like, you know what? I'm not going to try to fight this anymore because I feel like I'm fighting God right now, you know? Right. So um, I really learned a lot actually just in the last couple of months about acceptance and letting go, you know, and, and how to, to move on, you know, and allow good things in your life to come to you. Because sometimes if you don't let go of them, you know, then you can't allow other things to to come sure. in sure yeah i mean the whole world had to readapt to this you right. know restaurants are like you know delivering food now just delivering food yeah. uh concerts you can watch online you know um just everything readapted if i can say anything you know like being home with my wife for all that time it was great you know having that like that solid time with not working 24 7 what sometimes it feels like and we, you know, we lost our dog a few years ago, mm -hmm. uh, last year. Wait, what's no. Yeah. End of 2020. I see I'm all mixed up. Yeah. Um, so end of 2020, uh, and, but we got to spend his last six months of his life with him. You know what I mean? Yeah. Instead absolutely. of leaving him alone when we went to work. So there's all those little things that are like, all right, you know, maybe this had to happen for, for this yeah. reason, you know? Right. Um, right. It definitely is is something that everybody, you know, while I've tried to step back and look at it that way and tried to be cool and, you know, positive and whatever, there's many, many days that I'm just like, man, fuck this. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to do this anymore. You know, I mean, it is just, it's a roller coaster of emotion when your whole life and, and dreams is not, you know, for you, I'm sure you understand it's not just your career not just everything you poured your guts into it's your dreams you know mm -hmm. so 
for people just to say, shut it down. You can't do that anymore. You know, I mean, that's really hard to take in, you know, and, and, um, I guess that there's a lot of musicians out there that have, you know, had health problems or whatever, that they've had to take that in every day of their life while they watch other people go out and tour. So I guess the only, uh, really helpful thing is knowing that everybody else is in the same boat as me but really it doesn't matter because I'm still at my house by myself alone irregardless of that so it, it still requires a lot of work and and you know I really encourage anybody who's who's struggling with it still to do the steps of grieving and grief counseling because that truthfully saved my life at the beginning of COVID I don't know if I had not really dive deep into that and really gone through those processes of letting myself grieve losing all those things I don't think that I, I could have survived it honestly it was just too much at the same time for me and there was other things going on outside of COVID like my father being sick and all this so it was a lot and and I'm grateful for those tools and skills that I learned during that time you know absolutely absolutely you know and you know this isn't like making music or anything like that but this is my creative outlet. This is where I get to talk to people, learn about them and talk about myself a little bit and like express things that I would normally never say, you know, I it, on this show, I'm very open about my past drug abuse and everything like that. And you said something very important before you said humor, humor is what gets me through everything. I literally just make fun of the fact that I used to do all these stupid things. And I talk about it open way and people that, never even knew now know because of this show without yeah. me even having to tell them and yeah. it's almost like it's almost like writing a song in a way um yeah. without the talent of course um <laughs> i think it's the same concept though as taking an idea yeah. and making it that is presentable to people because i right. mean at the end of the day writing a song you know when i talk about drugs or i talk about these these dark destructive things maybe they're not totally relatable to people but there are people out there that can totally relate to it. And even if they can't, they can say, well, I can substitute that word in for something else, you know, mm -hmm. and, um, you know, all of us are self-destructive in some kind of way. We, that is, that is the nature of the beast with being a human being, but for some like myself and probably yourself as well, I have a little extra knack for that of being extremely self-destructive. And just because I, and not totally going and getting high or drunk or whatever it is, I can find a million ways to be self-destructive, you know? So that goes back to finding that core of what it is that keeps you, um, keeps your, your head in it and keeps you from, you know, going down that totally self-destructive path. And uh, a whole nother conversation we can have someday is about, you know, how you stay sober and how, you know, because I have, totally different beliefs about that and the same way that I have about religion but you know for everyone and for me my path has always you know circled around figuring out how to not totally self-destruct and for me uh throwing that that darkness and those cards that I was dealt with with dark things and having this affinity for darkness and and being drawn to being self-destructive has really helped me to, to have something very structured, like touring and a job that is centered around that, that I can say it's okay to, to express these things, but at the end of the day, you've got to be organized and you've got to be self-motivated to have a career, you know, and not just allow yourself to, to live in that, if that makes any sense. I know that's kind of a lot of information. Totally. 
you know, that's how it's worked, you know, which was why it was really dangerous when all of that fell through for me um, with COVID. When everything just started to crumble around me, I thought, well, why not just do whatever I want all the time? You know, what ramifications am I going to have? You know, I have ramifications. There's nobody that's going to tell me that I need to be somewhere or need to do anything, you know. And um, that was really important in that moment to exercise those skills of saying, you know, uh, I've got to find something productive to do with my time. And that's when I started to um, finish my degree because I knew that that was not going anywhere good if I, <laughs> if I just sat around all day, you know, so sure. um, that, I decided to do that, you know. Yeah, what's so. the saying? The, the, uh, the devil's hands or something like that. Idle hands are the devil's uh somebody playground knows. playground Play <laughs> i don't hands devil's playground that's right it's 100 yeah. percent true it is 100 <laughs> percent. that's why i started this and you know and things like this because you have to keep your mind going you know you have yeah. to talk about it and get it out there no matter which way you do it whether you're writing it in a song or you literally just saying it yeah uh, and so for anyone listening you know who feels like that like figure out a way to say it mm-hmm. even if you don't feel comfortable saying it figure out a crafty way to do it you know i think sometimes just saying uh-huh. it like look you know i'm really struggling with this especially right now with everybody struggling with it yeah. you know it's okay you know to just say to someone that you're sitting and talking to saying i'm having a really hard time with this because you can be sure that the person across the table from you is also having a really hard time with it no one is doing well with with this pandemic we can all try to move forward and and you know do positive things but for me personally all i can say is that you know doing that that work immediately on on the process of grieving was not something I had ever done before because I'd never really lost anything. And it took me a a long time, not a long time, but a little while to determine that that emotion that I was feeling was grief. I had no idea what that's what that was, but I just knew it was this, this feeling inside of me, like I couldn't go on this despair that was beyond any despair I'd ever had more than just, Oh, I'm so sad over this particular thing or, Oh, I don't like life anymore. You know, it it was not like that. It was different. It was this overwhelming everything. All of the lights in the world have been turned off on me, you know, and that I finally realized that that's grief that I'm feeling. And I, and I went through these steps of, of, uh, processing that. And it, it was tremendous, um, for me and a huge weight, you know, was lifted off of me. So I really encourage anybody that's feeling total despair to, to look at that, you know, because that, that was really helpful. But also, like I said, just little things like do for me doing ballet again, because it's so structured and it gave me a positive end goal is like, I'm going to do something that I love, but also I'm going to do something that's difficult and something that in the end, I will be more in shape, you know, or I'm going to enroll in school because then at the end, I'll be a better writer and guitar player, you know, and, you know, that for me has been really important throughout my life with dark times and, and uh, leaning into feeling real depression and, and being really, really uh, self-destructive to throw myself immediately into something that I can really distract myself with because that has been um, a big part of me not totally self-destructing, if that makes sense. Sure. 
No, absolutely. And that's a very important thing too. Grief doesn't necessarily have to be the loss of a person or a physical being or, or even an object. It could just be a dream, like you said, yeah. you know, that yeah. something you built up your whole life that was just taken away. Uh, so that's an important thing for people to know too. So, but let's lighten it up a little bit. Let's, let's get into, let's get into some of the music. Yeah. So you're a little bit country, a little bit rock. I've listened to it all day. It's so good. It's so legit. Oh. It's legit. That's, that's the important word there. It's so, no matter what kind of music you're into, you can tell it's real, you know? Yeah. Uh, so I would say like definitely Southern rock, dark country is yeah. kind of where it's at. Um, your debut razor wire came out 2014 gold rush, 2017. You have a new single out called sinking. Mm -hmm. You guys can get it wherever you stream your music. There's a video for it as well. Uh, now this is a song originally by a band called Godhead. Mm -hmm. Yep. Um, and it features the guy from right. The lead singer, John Charles Miller. Yeah. Yeah. Jason actually is his name. Jason. Charles Jason. Miller. Sorry, Jason. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, it's fine. He was the lead singer of Godhead and, and, um, yeah, that project was really interesting. We have, it's a, a side A, side B, and actually the other side of it is a song uh, that is about my uh, grandfather, who was a Church of Christ preacher, and uh, myself murdering someone, and us burying the body, and him going to church on Sunday with the dirt still under his fingernails. So that song's <laughs> Ghost, and that one's on the other side of the seven inch that I released. So yeah, we released, we were, it was supposed to come out in October 2020, but we ended up releasing it this October. So. Right. Yeah, but good idea. <laughs> 2020 just we erased yeah, that. Yeah, you know, it really gets a tour behind it at all. I did this one tour and then Omicron came out. Um, but nonetheless, it, it was a really important project for me to get to release because we started recording that project in February of 2020 out in LA. So I was like, I'm gonna release this record. <laughs> right. Even as the last thing I do is gonna be, I'm gonna release this record. So um, so yeah, that was, that was really exciting for me to finally get to put it out because it felt in some kind of way like, okay, there is life after COVID, you know, so. Yeah. I mean, you've also re recently released the haunting rendition of O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. Uh, super dark Christmas song. I love it. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I, I'm signed to a label in, in Sweden, um, called icons creating evil art and god i just love them so much because they if there's any people on the planet that are darker than myself with they are you know so they they were like could you do like a maybe a scary version of a christmas song i'm like i got you don't worry <laughs> so well, my dad and i in his basement in lebanon tennessee just messed around with a bunch of plugins and stuff and did a creepy version of that song but um I think there's really nothing better than a good creepy religious song um so yep. we yeah did that did that one and um you know kind of just messed around with some other stuff and and I've actually been writing a project as well that um, I hope will be out this year but who knows I don't want to say any dates at this point about anything but we've we've been writing it and working on recording it so all right very cool and also recently a live album called mm -hmm. hannah aldridge live in black and white i was listening yeah. i listened to that one on repeat today i really like that one Thank and you. i'll tell you why because I, obviously you have an amazing voice you make amazing music but when someone does a live album it really separates the true artist from 
the studio trick artist. Yeah. And I'm not saying I don't like studio trick artists. I do. But I've seen some bands that I love live and they're horrible, <laughs> which whatever, <laughs> it is what it is. But when you can do both, that's a true artist to me. Um, um, and I was actually going to ask you about that label. Uh, Icons Creating Evil Art is a Swedish label. You're in Nashville. How did, this yeah. ha how did that happen? <laughs> that's a long story. Um, but to make it short, I, I started touring over in Sweden. And um, at some point, uh, just found that my whole band and everybody that I worked with was over in Sweden. And then there was a guy that was uh, working with a, a touring company that I was originally signed with that left that touring company and opened up his own touring company. And um, when he did that, he said, you know, I would love to have you on my roster. And furthermore, there's this label that I've been working with named Icons Creating Evil Arts that I think would actually be a great fit for you. And up until that point, I had really struggled to find a label that understood what I was doing as an artist, because it's very easy to take my music and put it in the Americana box. But the problem with that is that the Americana world is not really into, you know, that dark, doomy country stuff, you know, that's not really their, their bag. So um, it was really hard to get labels on board to figure out how to promote what I was doing in a way that I was really happy with, and it wasn't toning down any of that. So um, icons, uh, I went and met with them and right out of the gate, I just absolutely loved them because they were so far removed from the Americana country world. They're like, we don't know anything about that. They, they are a, a pet company of a big metal label called Despot. So their, mm -hmm. their roots are in metal music and very dark rock music. So for me, that was just such a good fit because it was, they're bringing something to this, to the table that's very different than what I'm bringing to the table. And we're able to sort of you know, patchwork it together. So um, that that's how it, you know, started was I got them on board to release the live record. And then um, then we did this uh, seven inch together and then they released uh, the Christmas single and we're working on this EP together. So it's been a really cool thing for me. I've, I've been really lucky to have them. Very cool. Yeah, I did wind up checking out their site before and I was like, kind of blown away by it. I was like, oh, this is really cool. Yeah, uh, I want to see if I can get in touch with them and like, get somebody on the show that would like represent them, you know, or something like that. Cause they would, they're really cool people. I mean, they uh, really, I, my favorite thing about them is when I went into the office for the first time, you know, whenever you go into record labels, it's like business office, you know, very, it looks like it could be a doctor's office or a dentist's office or anywhere else in the world, you know, mm -hmm. but Aaron, and it was like, everybody's in there in their socks with their feet like kicked up on the table eating a bowl of cereal sketching out like posters and you know and then there's like a music video being shot in the other room with crazy smoke coming out the door and <laughs> and some guy comes out and he's got on like full-on face paint you know it's just like okay this is interesting <laughs> yeah. but you can tell everyone that works there is really creative and they're in the music industry you know it's not just some guy that's got a degree from a music school that says I've got a piece of paper that says that I can work in the music industry, you know? Right. So um, I, I really appreciated that about them is that they're, they're really, really interesting people. They really are. And I'm absolutely sure one of them would love to be on the podcast. So, Oh man, that'd be so cool. I'm going to, I'm going to give it a shot. And yeah, I, that's the kind of things I really love. I'm attracted to those kind of things. That's what I try to do on this show is get people yeah. who, 
kind of do what they do because they love to do it. Yeah. Not, not because of what's popular or how popular popular they can get, but for the love of it, whatever that right. art may be. So, Absolutely. yeah. There was actually a movie I watched last night on Netflix called Sparks Brothers. Have you seen it? Oh, I haven't. Watch that documentary because it's kind of mind-blowing that I've never heard of this band. No one's ever heard of this band. It almost looks like a mockumentary, like it's a fake band, but they're huge. They've made like 25 albums. <laughs> and Where are they in the U.S.? That, yeah, they, for some reason, seem very European. It must be their frame of mind, like their attitude, but they're from California. Okay, okay. And they've been doing it since like the 60s, and they're still doing it. And they never made a hit. They've, they have. I love, prop- <laughs> I love that. That's great. I mean, yeah, because that really means you really, really love what you're, you've never, you know, had any real uh, monetary success as something you need to get up every day and do it and touring in particular, because let me tell you, it looks like it's really glamorous and fun. And some days it is. There are some days that you're like, is this really my life right now? Like, do I really get to do this and get paid for it? But, but it's just like any other job because, you know, about uh, six days of the week, it's really difficult work. And maybe one day it's like, okay, this is, this is all right. I can do this, you know, um, you know, except for the differences in touring as people are applauding you for your job, which doesn't happen really at any other job, but you, you know, it, it is, it takes a special kind of person to want to commit their entire life to touring um you have to be so nomadic and you have to really really believe in what you're doing and love what you're doing because that is not an easy thing to do i can tell you it's you know it wears you out to be out on the road you know yeah absolutely i i I really think you would appreciate this and uh edgar wright made it who made like oh cool uh, last night in soho and Shaun of the dead that's cool. It's really cool. Check it out. Um, so we're going to wrap it up in a few. Uh, what's what's on your record player right now? What are you listening? To? I mean, not literally the record player. If you have a CD or whatever you got. <laughs> I, let's see. Well, like just today, what am I listening to? Yeah. Or like what I'm really into right now? What you're really into right now? Mm, let's see. Right now. Well, I've been... Actually, recently, I've been going back and revisiting all of the Gillian Welch, Dave Rawlings, you know, all of their side projects, all of that, because I really love them a lot, which is not uh, something that a lot of people expect. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I I do, I really, really love them a lot and the technicality that they have. Um, I had a friend that actually um, was showing me a band named Big Thief recently that um, I really have gotten into them quite a lot. Um, They're they're actually a little bit in that vein, but... um, I, it took me a little while to to wrap my head around what they were doing, but I've gotten really, really into that band as well. Um, the songwriting and the, the musicality and, and kind of, it's kind of progressive folk, which is interesting to me. Um, that's been something that I've been really into. I, I really, really have um, loved Courtney Marie Andrews' new record as well. This year, I feel like I've kind of scaled back my really heavy rock and, and listened a little bit to more organic singer songwriters mm-hmm. I feel like the year before that I was listening to only like tool and nine inch nails <laughs> and all like you know um and I do still listen to a lot of that kind of stuff but I, I've really kind of stripped back and started to to delve a little more into you know some of the 
the really um, great songwriters, like even learning a, a really good appreciation for Leonard Cohen, you know, and kind of mm -hmm. taking his entire body of work and diving into it going, okay, blank slate, let's just listen to this, you know, um, Warren Zevon, you know, sure. people like trying to really break down what, what it is that makes them who they are as a writer. And um, so that's really kind of what I've been up to musically lately. But in terms of a band that I have, have discovered in the last little bit, I really love Big Thief. I think they're really great. And my friend has great musical taste. So, uh, you know, there's been several bands that he's recommended to me that I've really loved. But this particular one was interesting because he just gave me tickets to go see them play at the Ryman. And I had never even heard of this band before. And I, I was like, I don't even know what to think when I left, when I left the show, but I, I kind of dove into their back catalog um, whenever I got home and really, it's been really, really cool to listen to all their stuff. I definitely recommend that band. And again, like I, I have really enjoyed going back and revisiting Gillian Welch and Dave Rawlings side projects and all of their music as well because i just think they're some of the most incredible players and songwriters absolutely um, yeah i'm gonna write that down big thief yeah uh, they're, they're like prog folk if you're into uh you know prog music which i've got my mars volta shirt on so yeah. obviously that that genre is <laughs> um yeah but they're they're kind of people who are into prog and or into maybe folk or light rock would probably appreciate this band i think they're um you know kind of no frills kind of thing but they're they're really pretty cool so i'm definitely interested in that because i i i'm like that too i listen to so many different genres uh from black metal to like easy listening you know um it just depends on my mood but i always tend to go back to like folk and things like that simple mm -hmm. simple like simple guitar simple songwriting oh. uh but just good just done well it's like raw it's like the basis of music you know like somebody like ryan adams yeah, yeah or yeah. or like um i don't know I don't even know like nick cave i mean he's yeah. a little crazy sometimes but it's just simple like yeah straight to the point you know you know um, I like that I, I discovered him opening for Patty Griffin, actually, which was really bizarre in, um, in Sweden, but I'm going to botch his last name so badly, but it's something along the lines of Christian Kilvanger. Kilvanger. Okay. Anyways, something <laughs> KJ is the second letter of it, and you'll find it if you search um, Christian Kilvanger with the J, but okay. I think he Incredible. And if you're into Nick Cave or you're into, he's, he sounds a little like, um, he sounds a little like some of that soundscape or stuff more of Nick Cave. He's really, really uh, a cool songwriter though. And he's got this deep baritone voice. Um, and he does not ever have a chorus to any of his songs. You know, it's one of those things that's really like cinematic and soundscapey. I love his stuff. Like he's yeah. not very, but if you like doomy stuff and the rock at all um that is he's pretty cool uh, i really really enjoy his music i think you should check him out because i think you probably like him based on what we've talked about very cool yeah i just wrote it down i'm definitely gonna check that out yeah um so where can people find you online what's your like you know your prime destination like instagram no, or i would normally tell you that they should go <laughs> my facebook fan page but somebody hijacked it like two months ago or maybe <laughs> half ago 
and deleted it and it's gone. I have no Facebook fan page anymore. And I'm so sad that I start a new one. I don't, I'm speechless about it. <laughs> like oh, no. literally sign on to it one day. I'm like, I don't have a fan page anymore. It's gone. And I've been trying to get it back. So I don't know if anybody out there knows anything about <laughs> please let me know because it's gone that's um, but- that's crazy i actually i did look for you on facebook because i promote on there too so i like to tag everybody yeah. and i couldn't find you at all <laughs> i don't need to get in touch with facebook you can't just don't oh, even no. bother no there is no number in facebook um, <laughs> no. so yeah i i would normally say that so i would say instagram i try to post quite a lot on there especially in light of not having a facebook um, and then, of course, you can find me on all of the, you know, Spotify and yes. Apple Music and all that kind of stuff. But to stay in touch with me and see what I'm up to, Instagram, I try to post every day just so, you know, people can see what I'm up to. Um, yep. And yeah, he's on there quite a lot. So <laughs> Very cool. Um, now, yeah, besides the streaming stuff, can people buy some physical stuff? You have Bandcamp? Yeah. Bandcamp, yep, that's the best way to do that. Um, you can find actually Icons has a Bandcamp set up for me, and I have HannahAldridge.com as well. So okay. yeah, um, you can get the seven inch and some cool little bags that have snakes and apples on them and things like that. So lots of nice religious things to take to church on Sunday. So oh, that's very cool. I'm going to check that out for sure. <laughs> yeah, right. um, definitely find me there. Very cool. Uh, one more question before we go. Um, I asked this, you know, ask everybody this um, on a scale from one to hell fucking yeah. How much did you enjoy being here today? Oh, hell fucking yeah. <laughs> That's great. Yeah, too. Both of us, both of us yeah. say up. <laughs> That's great. You know, I never had a dog do it. And now, like, I feel like my life's kind of complete, honestly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Have, you have Ozzy's come out. He said it, it was the health. <laughs> oh my God. That was great. Yeah. Well, keep in touch. This was great. And uh, I always Thank meet you. such great people from Lucy. Oh, yeah. PR. That, man, it was, it was really, really great. Yeah. And yet yeah, definitely get in touch with uh, icons. I'm sure one of them would love to be. So. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah. It's so, no problem. Hannah, have a great night. Thank you Thank so much. All right. Thank you so much i'll see you later take Bye-bye. care bye-bye